it's really a delight to be here. Thanks for the invite. I got a, uh, an email from Matt Glezos, or Matty G, as I call him. And uh, when, you know, when Matty G says, hey, can you come and, and help out at Tri-City, you always reply, yes, sir. So I'm here. Um, and so it'll be fun to spend time with you this morning uh, in the Psalms. So I'm going to let you know in advance, the Psalm we're studying this morning is Psalm 31. And it's not a happy Psalm. It's actually kind of a, it's a sad, it's a sad psalm. It's a lament psalm. So we're going to be studying this together uh, and, and reading from the scriptures. And so what I want to do is I want to read it first. I invite you to pull out your Bible to uh, Psalm 31. It'll be on the screen as well. But we're going to read it and then I'll pray and then we'll begin. Psalm 31. And you, O Lord... Do I take refuge? Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me. Out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. And I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. And you've not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they seem to plot against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. O Lord, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. In the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence, you hide them. From the plots of men, you store them in your shelter. From the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, he said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, as we now move into a time um, of the ministry of the word, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon us. I ask that you'd be teaching us from your word. We believe that this is uh, your very word. And we, and we ask that you would um, guide us in it. Father, I ask that you'd guide my words, that they would be truthful. And Lord, may we be changed because of the, uh, um, the words that are found in this text. Lord, we love you, and we praise your name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, I'll begin by telling you about five months ago, no, five months ago, five weeks or so ago, um, I just got back from Uganda, Africa, uh, with the Northview Young Adults. I, I work with young adults at Northview, and we went on a trip uh, to serve in Uganda, and then we spent a little bit of time in Kenya. And uh, this is a mission trip. We worked with an orphanage, and we also worked with um, uh, a ministry called Word of Life Ministries. They do like Bible camps and all sorts of things like that. There's a team of about 14 of us, and we were led by our African pastor, uh, Ezra Okuti, who uh, is a very animated guy. Maybe you've seen him preach before. But uh, so we went to, to Uganda. And let me just say that if you've ever gone abroad, you've ever had an experience like that in a different country, you'll notice that things are often done very differently. We live differently than the way they live. And there's lots of differences. For example, public transportation was not so great in Africa. Roads aren't really uh, paved, so they're very bumpy. And when it rains, it just completely, everything shuts down because it becomes just a flooded road system. Uh, they use a lot of taxis, and what a taxi is, not like a yellow cab, uh, a taxi there is, a, is a, like a seven-seater van, which they then cram 15 people into. And the best part about these is every single taxi driver names their, uh, their van something that's you know, meaningful to them. Some people, well, their van will be called God's Gift, and it's written across the front of their windshield. Another one is, uh, praise be to the Lord. And then you have some on the other side. Uh, one of the ones was uh, Big Spenda. And then my personal favorite, which I managed to snag a photo of, uh, someone named their taxi after a WWE wrestler. The taxi's name was John Cena. And so um, it was a lot of fun. But so there's, there's little things like that that are differences, but there's also just differences that you begin to see as you interact and you talk with the people. And that's kind of where I want to go with this, is I sat down with a, uh, one of the students who was at the Bible Institute at Word of Life. And we were just talking about life and talking about ministry and, and, and people. And one of the things that I was discussing with him, one of the things I noticed is, um, you know, in Africa, you, you see a lot of financial poverty. Compared to the way we live, uh, it is, they have nothing. But then it also clued in that while, while they are financially poor, they are emotionally rich. And, and they are spiritually wealthy. And so then I began to compare that and think about North America, right, where we have everything we could probably need. We have more than enough. We are financially wealthy. But a lot of us are emotionally poor. And there's massive spiritual Poverty in North America. In Africa, people um, are, are not getting enough meals. Here, we just we throw away food, and there, there's an excess of stuff. In in Africa, people um, they're dying from diseases that are curable to us. In North America, people die because they take their own life. 
I mean, you don't have to watch the news for very long to see the, the celebrity after celebrity who are committing suicide. And you begin to wonder, okay, who has it worse? I think a lot of people on this side might trade for some of these things for a simpler life. And so that I, I tell you all of this because um, this, um, this cultural moment we're in in North America where there's a massive amount of depression is very similar to where we find uh, David in this psalm. And so I want to begin to read this with you, but we're going to learn two things about God from this. We're going to learn that the Lord holds your life and the Lord hears your cries. All right? The Lord holds your life and he hears your cries. Let's begin with uh, the Lord holds your life. Psalm 31 verse 9 reads this. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of terror on every side. As they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. A lot of times when people describe the Christian faith and coming to become a Christian, and they're, you know, if you're promoting it to someone, A lot of times people will say, my life has completely changed. I I am a new person. Uh, This relationship I now have with Christ is amazing. I have this new church family and it's really, really good. And a lot of times we don't talk about the lows. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, If you've ever studied uh, David in the scriptures, you'll know that he's a man of just incredible passion. When things are good, when he's in the highs, he is praising God. He is dancing in front of the ark as they come in after a massive victory. He's giving God glory. He was known for this emotion that he poured into his worship. But then we also find David has massive lows as well. And this is one of the lows here. And if you, if you were to put a, like a description or a name, a modern day description on what David is experiencing here, I, I would say David is experiencing anxiety. He's experiencing depression. He is in one of the lowest lows that you could be in. He's not doing well. However, if you caught verse five, he says this, into your hand, I commit my spirit. And then again, in verse 15, he says, my times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. What is David saying here? He's saying, amidst all of this, and I know it's bad, and it feels terrible, I have a baseline. I have a security in the fact that that God's in control of everything. He's, He's in complete control. So this doesn't feel good in the moment. I'm distressed. I'm wasted from grief. But I know that God is in control. 
I like what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, to have our times in God's hand must mean not only that they're at God's disposal, but they are arranged by the highest wisdom. God's hand never errs. And if our times are in his hand, those times are ordered rightly. Sit still, O child, at thy great father's feet, and let him do as seemeth good. Our times are in God's hands. Um, I think if you're a Christian here, we, we all act this out. Let me explain. If a family member of yours gets sick, you probably, maybe you call 911, you take them to the hospital, whatever, they get hooked up to an IV, they get mended, uh, and, and they're sitting in there. All the while, though, there's probably a good portion of you who are praying, and you're calling upon God to intercede in this way. Lord, would you give the doctors wisdom in, in figuring out and giving us a good prognosis, figure out what's wrong with um, our family member. Lord, would you give them uh, skill in their incision if they have to do an operation, Lord? Uh, guide their hands in the surgery. We, we lift up this to the Lord because as Christians, we, we do believe that God is in control. That's a baseline that we all have. And that's an important truth to know, that our time is in God's hands. There is this baseline that people who aren't Christians don't have. Do you understand that? That people who, who aren't religious, I don't need God, when they, when they hit these lows, it's literally a free fall. So what David is saying here is take comfort in this. David's saying, I take comfort in this, even though I'm in a place of enormous grief. But there are moments when we forget this, that we have this baseline, and, and we begin to, we become overwhelmed. Listen here. Again, verse 11, David says, because of my adversaries, I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. Maybe, maybe some of you um, can relate right now to those words that David is speaking or maybe you've just come through a season where those words were exactly you. This is the season of, of mass amounts of anxiety, a season of mass amounts of depression. I mentioned that I work with young adults at Northview. And, and those are two things, those are two issues that are just, are tearing the millennial generation apart and, and the generation, generation Z afterwards. Anxiety and depression. And you say, why? We, we have everything that's good. And, and you could point to all, all the reasons as to why these things, uh, you know, maybe you're not getting enough food or you're, like your, your diet's wrong, you need more iron. Yeah, you can sell these things. The reality is though, we're still, my generation is still suffering with this situation and it's difficult and we relate to David in this I, I've even uh, walked through a season like this in my last year of college I just I had this I don't, I, I don't know where it came from okay but I had this just lull this lulling dull panic in the back of me and I couldn't explain it and it was a weird thing and it was, it was weird to talk about because I'm supposed to be a Christian. And, th and things are supposed to be good in my life right now. And I should be telling people how great God is. But yet, like inside, I felt this, 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 this panic and this, like, I wasn't in control. And so, 
I want to propose to you, I think there's three ways that we, we study, <laughs> we don't study that. There's three ways that I think that this issue tends to be viewed. Uh, and so follow me, if you will. The first way, I think, when we, we look at this um, spiritual depression, this, this anxiety, the first way is the culture tends to view this uh, pretty well. Do you, are you guys familiar with Bell Let's Talk? Every year, once a year, Bell has a big thing about mental health. And they're saying, let's talk about it. Look, if you need help, you should go get help. Go seek people. Get into community and, and talk about your struggles. We'll be here with one another, and we're going to make it through this. And it's a really cool thing that's happening in our world today. But I find when we have internal struggles, things that we're dealing with, a lot of times when it comes to the church, we, we keep it hidden. It's as if it's behind a veil. So I'm going through something and I'm having immense amounts of struggle, but I dare not bring that into the light because that makes me look like a bad Christian. And so comes on to it, all the, you know, we begin to ponder and we think, we spend a lot of time in our head and then we think about uh, the, the, our past sin and then it brings back a ton of shame. Maybe that you're experiencing that right now. And so we keep it hidden. I know I felt that. Uh, how am I supposed to be a pastor if I'm, if I'm dealing with this kind of stuff over here? I'm studying to become this and I, and I have this kind of this burden that, that no one knows about. The third way that I see this is I, I see what the scriptures tell about this issue, about being at the lowest of lows. This is a Bible issue. For example, we have Saul in 1 Samuel 16. We have Moses in Numbers 11. After the exodus, this massive high, we've just come out of Egypt, and Moses is in this low state, this, this depressed state. We have Jonah after Nineveh, who, who is just completely in a low. And this one, from the Apostle Paul, who writes in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's the Apostle Paul. And of course, you know the story of Judas. He was so depressed, he hung himself. And now we find David in a similar state. But what do we find the response from God in times like this? We find grace, we find love, we find compassion from God. You do understand that our God is not distant from us. He's actually a God who, who, who comes alongside of us, who feels what we feel, who enters into the darkness with us. Maybe you know the story of Elijah after he's being, um, people are trying to kill him. And he goes and he hides and he's talking to God and he's just in this place of like, I'm, I don't know what to do, Lord. And the Lord basically says, Elijah, go to sleep. And he puts him to sleep. And he allows his, his child to rest. Maybe you're familiar with the book of James where James says, you know, if, you, if there's issues going on, you should go to the elders for prayer. You do understand that's the power of a local church, right? That everyone in this room is a family. That you're, you're called to bear one another's burdens. That's something that the people who aren't part of church, who are walking and they are lost, they do not have that privilege. It's a unique thing that the body of Christ has is this opportunity to bear each other's burdens and say, I'm praying for you and we're gonna get through this. You, you have a family member who's sick, I'm praying with you and we're gonna get through this. You've lost your job, I'm praying with you, we're gonna get through this. 
There's community and there's accountability. It's an amazing thing that happens. We can take comfort in a God who's not going to abandon us in it. My times are in his hand, is what David says. He, he says, yeah, this is a mess right now. But my time, my time is in, in God's hands. He holds all of this. There's that baseline. And I can sit on that baseline because of God. And that's significant because in every step that you're taking, God has already mapped it out in front of you. And so whether you're, you're in between jobs or you don't know what to do with your future, maybe you're going to school, you don't know what you're supposed to do, I'm going to graduate, I, I have no idea what I'm going to do. You can trust in the fact that God is walking with you in it and that you're in his hands. And he's not going to let you leave his hands. Every moment, too, that we, I mean, we wonder if this is actually for our good. And you're going to see that actually it is. These struggles are for our good. That's what the Lord says. Now, think about it this way, though. If, if, we, if we refuse to, because this, this becomes the tendency, we refuse to have this baseline and trust that God, we're in God's hands. We try and put our, our, our future in our own hands and we say, okay, I'm, I'm tired of waiting on you, God. I'm going to do it my way. You, you, do, under, you do understand that you're, you're living as a practical atheist. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be proactively seeking but the moment that we begin to shut God out and say, I'm done with that, I'm doing it my way, even though you might believe in God, you're living as an atheist lives. I'm just curious how far that will be able to get you until you crash, either by your own doing or by circumstances. As a Christian, you have this baseline. You are in God's hands. You need to take comfort in that. My times are in his hands. God is in control. That is truth number one. Here's truth number two from the text. The Lord hears your cries. We see David cry out to the Lord. This is the right response of a believer. Is that when you're in this low, you cry out to God and he hears them. Listen to this. In verse 21, David gets an answer. He says, blessed be the Lord for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I'd said in my alarm, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. In my own life, um, I had an experience of being able to... um, get an answer from God. I, uh, so I grew up in Abbotsford, and I've been at Northview for a number of years. And through high school, I played uh, high school football. So for W.J. Mowat. And uh, the, the dream, the goal was always to go to college and, you know, and then make the NFL and then retire and in a mansion or whatever. And then, then, I, then I'm like five foot ten, and that was not going to happen. So I ended up, instead of going to Division I, I, I got to go to Division Three which was fun. And uh, so I went and played Division Three football at a school in Chicago. And uh, as, as I went there, the, the coaches who brought me on, uh, they, they didn't tell me how bad the team was. 
And uh, they didn't tell me that our team hadn't won a game in conference for 16 years. So I got duped into that one. So I show up and we are just a mess. We're terrible. We lose every game that season. It was actually laughable. And I'd find myself, like I, did, I cared, but I didn't care. And I'd lost kind of all, you know, joy for the game. So those coaches all got fired. <laughs> those, cho- those coaches got fired and they brought on these new coaches. And so I said, well, I'll give this another shot, see how this goes. And there was one coach in particular who uh, began to take over. And uh, he was the type of coach who, who ruled through intimidation and fear. And he never really felt like he was for you. And so pretty quickly, my joy for the game lost, was, was lost. And I was just going through the motions, pretty much just hating this coach and growing really resentful and really angry. And so the, the season ended. And of course, you don't want to quit and all your friends. It's like a brotherhood. And uh, so you go to these 6 a.m. lifts together. It's just awful. And you're, you're just miserable all the time. So the whole summer, I prayed to God for an answer. I said, Lord, I don't want to play football. You know my heart. I don't want to play. Uh, so can you just like tell me? Like, can, I, can you open a verse or something? You know, open the Bible. Can you put a verse there or something? I was just waiting for this answer. I, I earnestly prayed all summer. But I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll play football. So all summer went. And I got no answer. And so the next thing I know, I'm on a plane. I land in Chicago. It's the night before and I'm telling you, I don't want to play. Like, I'm, I'm just so down. I'm screaming into my pillow with tears, like, God, give me an answer. And I got nothing. So the next day started. I go to practice, go through camp, you know, checking the days off of your prison sentence. I mean, you're <laughs> the camp, right? And, and so I'm starting to play football. And the whole season, I, I became really resentful. I became angry at God because I had this miserable time. I wasn't even getting practice time. I'm just going through these motions. And I was in such a place of spiritual darkness. And it was so confusing for me because I knew in my mind, intellectually, that God was real. I knew I believed this, but there was not a moment where I felt this. And it was frustrating. And I, and I was just in such a low place. Maybe you've been somewhere like that. And so I got to the end of the season. I hated my coach. I thought about quitting a couple of times and I didn't. Went through with it and... Uh, just never had an answer from God. And so I was coming up with excuses as to why I was going to quit and, and whatnot. Anyways, I was at a Christian school and they did these Sunday evening services where they would do a worship service. And uh, I wouldn't say my faith is in a great place, but they said, hey, we're doing a, a speak freely evening, which was where anyone gets the microphone and then anyone can go up there. And I thought, oh, this is going to be hilarious because <laughs> it's probably going to be a bunch of people going up there and saying, you know, I just got out of a bad relationship. I just really got dumped but God's still good. And I was like, this is going to be hilarious. So I, out of my cynicism, went to this, this evening. And I sat there with my arms crossed, sitting at the back. And just the thought popped into my head where I, I just felt like I'm in a desert. I'm in a complete desert. And then guess what the next song that the worship team started to play? It's a song called Desert Song. <laughs> and so you, if you ever experienced something like that and your heart starts to beat a little bit, you're like... Like, maybe I should go up there and do the speak freely thing and talk about my feelings. I was like, I'm not doing that. Next thing I know, someone taps me on the shoulder, or turn around, and uh, there's a girl like, can I pray for you? I have something I need to pray with over you or whatever. And she began to, um, with a group of other people, just begin praying for me. And I got my answer from God. And it was this amazing moment. And I hold this as like my Ebenezer stone that when I'm not feeling my faith, Okay, when I, like, even myself, I'm starting to become a pastor and I'll look out the window and be like, do I believe all this? Like, this is ridiculous. You don't die and then come back to life. 
is this just an accident? And I, and I doubt this. But then I remember this moment that I have locked away in my mind. And I say, it was real then. And so it was, it was so real then. And so I, I hold on to that. And, and that has become my answer and has got me through a lot of things. And it's similar to what David gets. He, he, he got an answer from God. God heard my cries the whole time. God hears his cries. When, when we cry out to the Lord, he hears us. Yeah, Daniel, that's really great. You got your answer. Congratulations. But I've been praying for my sick family member for two years. I've seen nothing. That's really, really great, Daniel. Thank you for that. My marriage has been suffering and I've got no answer from God and we've got no help. Thanks, Daniel. It's great. My children aren't doing so well. My friend, I've been praying for my friend for years and nothing. Where's my answer, you say? And, and we come alongside people who say, it's fine, you know, God's, he's always moving and you feel assured and, and like, you just, you just need to know this and, it, and it's good. Yeah, yeah, I, like, I, I get that, but I, I haven't felt that answer yet. And it doesn't become easy. It doesn't get any easier and it just gets harder and harder. You risk wanting to give up and turn on God and just take things in your own hands and just say, I'm, I'm done with it all. I'm finished with you, God. Are you kidding? I thought you were for me. I thought you said all this stuff is for my good. I, like, I thought you were near me and you say, well, it's going to be fine. No, it's not fine. I'm like David right now. I'm just crumbling on the inside. I want to read to you a passage of scripture that I think speaks to this. And this is just, this is from Romans 8. This is a famous passage of scripture. And this is from the New Testament. Okay, this is an amazing, from the Apostle Paul. Um, some of you might know the name Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a preacher in, in London for about 30 years, which is a very, very famous preacher. And uh, I had the opportunity just recently to see the Bible he preached from. And these pages were just completely um, just wrecked. And they had to repair them and stuff because he, he spent so much time reading this passage. And so I hope this passage becomes um, a staple in your life. Let me read this for you. Romans 8 verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, for the, for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, meaning that everyone knows on this planet that things aren't as they should be. We know that when we experience pain, we experience suffering, that there is a world that exists where that doesn't happen. And we're not there yet. We're in this already not yet. Yes, God, Christ has come, but there's still suffering. And not only the creation, but we ourselves grown, who have the, the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things. You understand that's a promise right there? All things in your life are going to work together for your good. Even if you don't see it in the moment right now. They work out together for their good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, that's a relational term, 
For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The idea here is if you're a Christian today, God's grip on you is so tight, there's nothing that's going to take that away. His grip on you is eternal. And so we keep reading here. What then shall we say to these things? Hmm? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will, we, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? This eternal, this future that we have with him in heaven. This momentary moment is, is so small in comparison to what is to come. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Christ is interceding for you in your struggle. When you don't have the strength to go on, Christ is moving with you. He's dragging you through whatever you're going through right now, through your tribulation. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword or rejection or divorce or, or cancer? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things, nor present, nor, nor, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Friends, I don't know where you are in your life right now, but you have to know that if you're a believer in Christ, his grip on you is so tight that whatever you're going through, he will see you through it. And, and maybe you're gonna have this thorn in your slide for the rest of your life, but I'm telling you, you will get to the other side. Christ is gonna see you through and you will see him on the other side and you'll see him face to face and you'll understand why. We never, often, we don't see it in the moment. But we will understand it one day. God's love for you is so profound. He looks at you and, and he doesn't see the person who um, is just a failure. He looks at you and says, I'm adopting you. You are a new creation. All, all that stuff that you have in your life, all that sin, I'll pay for that. I'll make you a new creation. And you follow me. God, he, it's as if he's walking along a beach and, and, and there's, there's every grain of sand you can imagine, right? And he picks you up, your tiny, insignificant grain of sand. And he says, I'm gonna make you a trophy of my grace. That's what God is doing for you and he will see you through it. God holds you in his hands and he hears your cries, but there's a purpose in it. And he will see that purpose through, even if you don't see it in the moment.
by way of application, this should change the way we see ourselves, right? I mean, this should change. We're, we're adopted into God's kingdom, not by anything that I've done, but by the, by the glory and the gift. It's a gift that God has done this. I'm a new creation. I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of heaven, of a kingdom that is not, beyond, that is not this world. So we have that baseline. And we look forward to a future hope. And so look, if you haven't been trusting Christ, um, or maybe you need to believe in him again, maybe you need to repent and believe and turn away from that life you were having, this is a good time to do that. This is a good time to believe again and trust in his promise and trust in his goodness. Sometimes we have to secure this, this, our, our mental side of things, knowing that God is for us while our will catches up, while our emotions catch up. Believe this and know that God is for you. When all is breaking around you, when, when everything's just getting destroyed, when you're walking through a season, a season of anxiety, a season of depression, you don't know what's coming up, and you're just completely lost. Cling to God. Run to Jesus. Because one day you're gonna, you're gonna see him on the other side and you're gonna look your savior in the eyes and you'll understand. Our times are in his hands. Let me just read to you verse 24. I'll close with this. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, for your word, I'm thankful. This life is not easy uh, for young people, for old people, for everyone. Father, we live in a broken world, yet you are the light, and you are the light that shines in the darkness, and, and nothing can put that out. And thank you for adopting us. You are all we need, Lord. May our hearts know this. May our minds um, believe this too. And may we walk with you all the rest of our days through whatever you would have us move through. And we look forward to the day where we see you face to face. And Father, we look forward to the day where you bring, um, you, you, come, you come and make everything right. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise your name. And everyone said, amen. amen.